If you, uh, if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to be looking out of John 14, and uh, that is our, our, the, the text for this morning, uh, for, this, for the lectionary text for the morning, but we're eventually going to get to that. The title I've given the message is The Way, the Truth, and the Life. I, I might be able to even give it a different name, but um, just we'll stick with that one, so... Uh, I probably was nine, maybe ten years old when I went with my sister, four years older than me, my sister Monica, and my cousin, John Peter Wyma, uh, up in Brockville, Ontario. He was delivering papers, and we were, we were taking a, a visit up to Canada, as we often did during those years, um, had to go back to Canada. Now I recognize why that was. I thought it was just to go visit family. I think it was because we were immigrants trying to make our way into the, into Canada or into the U.S. And uh, we had to go back to Canada every so often. And so we we were there. I was actually staying at my uncle and aunt's house in Brockville. And so when we would come, big family, we'd be farmed out to the uncles and the aunts, and we'd stay there for a time. And so I was there with Uncle Pete. And uh, Tana, Hannah, and uh, Aunt Hannah is how we would say it in English. Uh, but he, their, their son, John Peter, and my sister were, you know, they'd taken up the task of going on his paper route to deliver these papers, and I tagged along. What I didn't know was that my sister was a bit irritated with the fact that I had tagged along because she wanted to have some time with John Peter, and so she came up with this plan. As we were traveling, this isn't a very big little, you know, town. It's Brockville, Ontario. Uh, but yet it was different enough for me that I didn't really know my way around the town. Uh, but we came to an intersection, and my sister turned to me and said, stay here. We'll be right back. He just has to deliver a paper over there in that building. Okay. So I commenced to, quote, stay there. Now, I don't remember how many sequences of lights went through, uh, but somewhere along the way, I came up with a conclusion, they forgot I'm here. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I was looking, and more lights, you know, the lights are going, cars are going by, so I couldn't see them, so I decided that I, what I needed to do was to go look for them. And I crossed the street, and uh, began to look for them, began to head toward the building that they pointed at. I looked there, and I did not find them. So I thought, well, maybe just a little ways down the street, didn't find them. Went back to the intersection. They weren't there. Went back looking down the street. Uh, decided, I'd be, you know, maybe I'll look around the block, and so you get my point. By this point, I've been wandering up and down the street, around the block. Now, I'm old enough and yet young enough. See, I'm old enough to know I'm not in the best of situation. This is pre-pre-anything digital, folks. This is, you know, coins in your pocket. But I didn't have any coins in my pocket. I didn't have any ID. I'm just this, you know, young 9, 10-year-old boy that was tagging along with my sister and my cousin. And I'm in the middle of a town that I don't know. I have no ID. I have no way of getting a hold of anybody. I don't know how to find my way back to my uncle and my aunt's house. And so 
I'm beginning to feel a bit concerned, maybe even a little bit panicked, and I'm starting to look around thinking, what, how, what, and I spotted a fire station. And so I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. As I headed to the fire station, I noticed that the garage doors are open. This is in the middle of summer, and so I wander into the fire station. I find a fireman there who notices me, makes eye contact with me, and I walk up, and I mumble out something like this, do you, do you know Pete Wyma? Like, why would he know him, right? But it seemed like a good question to me, and as he asked me the question again, uh, I heard a, a very tense voice behind, behind me, uh, the voice of my sister say, Ben! And when I turned and I saw her, I couldn't control the tears and I just ran and grabbed a hold of her and was so happy to see her because, you know, uh, she had come. And I, I, I just, point is, I was relieved that I was found. For me, I could have been lost in the middle of New York City. It wasn't really that big of a town, but it, could, it might as well have been, right? I didn't know where I was at. I didn't know how to get rid and, of And then came the litany of questions from her. How did you get here? Why didn't you stay where you were told? Why didn't you do this? You know, when I got older, I'm like, why did you leave me on the street corner? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's what I ask as an adult. As a kid, I look, oh, I don't know. I'm sorry. But all that mattered to me in that moment was I was alone, and I was, you know, isolated, disconnected, disoriented, and my cousin and my sister had come looking for me, and I was so glad that they had found me. Now, what I didn't know, that they knew a little bit more because they were a little bit older than me, I didn't know the truth of how lost I actually was. I think I was like a couple blocks or more away from where I was supposed to be. I, 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 what, what, I, what I didn't know was how much my life was actually in danger. Um, they did a little bit more. And they came searching for me. I didn't know the way. My cousin did, and he came to find me. John 14. Actually, this discourse begins uh, in John 13 and 14. All, you know, this whole discourse, 14, 15, 16, 17 is the high priestly prayer. But, but really, uh, you, when you're talking about 14, 15, 16, Jesus is talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit and really beginning to reassure his friends because in 13, he begins, he really gives this clear announcement of something that he's been saying, but what he says is, um, I'm going to leave. You can't follow. You need to stay right there. And it's actually in 13, it's Peter who turns and says, hey, uh, why can't we follow you? And then in chapter 14, um, Thomas says, where are you going? Just you know, show us. Where, where, where are you going? Give us a map. Philip later says, uh, you know, if you, just, if you just show us something, just, just show us the Father, it'll be enough. Just give us a map. To which Jesus replies, what John records in John 14, verse 6, that many of us have heard quoted many different times. 
in the midst of their confusion. We don't know where you're going, and Jesus, can, can you show us the way? Uh, where where are, is it that you're heading? And then Philip says, you know, if you show us the Father, he said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and anyone who comes to me, uh, no one can come to the Father but by me. And then, then by the way, I'm getting that, the, 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 the sequence a little mixed up there because then Philip says, well, just show us the way. And then finally he says, Philip, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. And see, that sets the stage for the text in John 14 of this week. When Jesus tells his friends what's true about finding the way, because he said, I'll come to you. I'm leaving, but I I am going to come to you. Beloved, the good news that we proclaim today is that the way, the truth, the life is not something we're left to discover, discern, or in the, in the desolate, in the disconnected spaces of our lives. And we all have them. His promise to his friends and to us in the most disoriented spaces of our lives, he says, I will come to you. I will reveal the way, the truth, and the life. And beloved, this is good news. Now, as I said a minute ago, all of us face these moments in these places in our life that, that we find ourselves somewhere that we had not imagined, where nothing's familiar. All that we had known is gone. We're, we're dislocated. We're disconnected. We're feeling desolate. We're whispering quiet prayers. Uh, Lord, show me the way. The truth is I'm lost. We've all been in those moments that the disciples lived in, trying to figure it out. What's true? What's my life supposed to look like? Moments that we can relate to to what Philip said. Show us the Father, Jesus. It'll be enough. And here's where the disconnect occurs for us. So many times when we read John 14, we see almost... We sort of read it in a couple of different ways. We read the first part of it one way and the latter part of it another way. And what I want to invite us this morning to do is to join those two together. Here's what I mean. Let me give you a little bit of context by what I'm trying to say. Uh, the most, one of the most familiar passages out of the book of John is John 3, 16, right? It's plastered on people's underneath their eyeballs at football games, right? John 3.16, perhaps one of the most well-known verses in the gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. It's such a hope-filled verse. Along with verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What a great word because Jesus clarifies what the Father's actually like. Now, in, in, in verse 16, that they might not perish but have eternal life. Now, here's, here's what I'm trying to get at is that when many of us have heard those words of eternal life, here's the picture that has come to mind for us. Eternal life. Eternal life. That means, well, we're, we're all going to die unless Jesus returns. Am I correct? Right. Okay. So, so 
here's sort of the, the, the message that we've heard, and it's not really a subtext. We've sort of heard this pretty clearly. We're forgiven, and we've been in a hope of heaven. That's eternal life. Now, okay, what is eternal life? Well, it's this place, this place that we go to in heaven, and, and we, we try to get our imagination gear going on, and we try to crank it around, and, and we read about it in places. Like, you know, there's three primary places in the Scripture, Ezekiel and Daniel and, and Revelation, where, where these friends had these pictures of heaven, and we try to piece it together, and it's like streets of gold and beautiful stuff all around us and the glory of God. There's no need for day or night. It's just the glory of God, and it's wow. And... Um, so we, we, we have folks that have tried to paint that into, into drawings and different things. But the point being is that we all sort of see ourselves in this mystical place, far off somewhere, um, in, in, our, in our, you know, this disembodied person, and, and, and we're encountering this God who doesn't actually have a body. Now, we, we're going to get to meet Jesus who still carries his body and will for eternity, but we're all hanging out in this mystical place. But, oh, wait a second, we run into some problems with that when John says, heaven is coming down out of heaven from God, and the dwelling God will be with men. So what does that word eternal mean? What did it mean to a first century Jew when Jesus said that? That's a good question. Well, life, meaning the breath, the breath of God, that's what life means, zoe, life. So what did the word eternal mean? Was it this sort of mystical place? Like, man, am I glad I'm going to be able to go to this place. Now, I, again, I don't want anybody, I'm, I'm not diminishing our ideas, our understanding about heaven, but what I want us to see is this, that the first definition of the word eternal, the Greek word eternal, is this. It's another realm or another age. So rightly translated, the phrase eternal life would actually mean the age to come. So for a first century Jew, they'd heard all of their life that there was an age to come in which Jesus would rule and our, we would live a different kind of life, an age in which the leadership of God is known and experienced among men and the dwelling of God is with them. Mark that down. So maybe... Maybe the age to come is about man living a different kind of life, no longer under the tyranny of a disconnection from God, but actually living in fellowship with God. Maybe eternal life begins now. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus was proclaiming when he begins his ministry. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's among you. It's in you. A couple of weeks ago, my, I went to Colorado for my niece's funeral. My older brother from Canada uh, arrived into Denver, and he had what he described as one of the most frustrating experiences he's had in a long time. Now, he's traveled all over the world because um, he's worked for international companies, but when he landed in Denver, this is the first time that he's flown since COVID. This dude has, like, driven in a car for five years all over the place. 
So he, boom, lands into uh, to Colorado. And much to his chagrin, the international data plan that he had on his phone. Now, wait, wait a second. The last time he rented a car, he was able to say, yeah, give me the car with GPS. And it was already in the, in the car, right? Well, they don't do that anymore. The cars just say, hey, where's your phone? Bring it on over. That's, you know, it hooks up to his phone. So he's like, he tries to hook up to his phone. His phone said, we don't know where we are. And so, so he's trying to open the link to the location of where he's supposed to be for the funeral, and he was so frustrated. It's like, where is the link? The link isn't working. I want us to see the link, beloved, that puts us in the right place. It's not an ethereal place. And Jesus gives us the link in John 14. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14. I'm going to begin at verse 15. Here we go. As you, or excuse me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will give you the, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Note that it says another helper. Uh, and he, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. For you know him because he abides in you and he'll be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you see me because I live in you and you live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Beloved, here is the link, beloved, to the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what it looks like. I want to submit to you this. Number one, when Jesus says, I am the way, beloved, the way is the way of love. John, verse 15 and 21, this text begins and ends with the proclamation of love. What's the way that Jesus revealed in his life? Above any other self-giving love and forgiveness that's ultimately revealed, not by, by him coming and saying, I told you, I'm the one that's right, but he reveals self-giving love on a cross. And then he says, oh, if you want to follow me, this is where it's going. The way, beloved, isn't about having all the right answers to the Bible quiz or even the theological exam. The way of Jesus, beloved, is love. Living any other way is religious drivel. And in fact... I would agree with what one individual said. If we're not living from love, we relegate ourselves and others to the orphanages of the world. I'm not talking about physical orphanages. You understand my point. The point where we are disconnected, dislocated, disoriented. See, here's the, a very crude definition of orphan thinking. You know, remember 
the Apostle Paul says that God has given to us a spirit of adoption by which we're able to cry, Abba, Father. And so what Paul's recognizing is that every one of us deals with this kind of thinking, this orphaned thinking. I'm alone. God's not for me. I'm, I, I, it's all up to me. Here's a crude definition. In that place of concluding, I'm alone, people are things to be used to get what I need because at the end of the day, I'm by myself. In that mindset, things are valued, people are used, which is completely opposite of what we see in Jesus who loves and values people and gives himself completely for others. Every time we love, beloved, I just want to speak this as encouragement over us. Every time we love, we reveal the age to come, a different age. One that's not ruled by power and, and, uh, and violence and who's got the biggest toys. It's revealing the heart of love. And it's worth noting, by the way, that the Apostle Paul, as well as the Apostle John, uh, make a, a great deal. In fact, they tie just about everything spiritual to this reality. Um, Paul said, you want to see the first theological gong show? Those of you who are my age remember the gong show, right? All right. Uh, kids, you don't remember the gong show, but it was great. Uh, but he said, if I, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I'm nothing but a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I give all that I have to, to the poor, if I give, surrender my very body to the flames but don't have what? Love. It's nothing. John says, here's Ben's paraphrase, you want really good end time theology? You want really good eschatology? It's not figuring out dates and times. The spirit of Antichrist is most revealed by the one who does not love. Here's how John said it. You can't say, I hate my brother and the love of God be in you. This is the spirit of Antichrist. 1 John 3, we know we pass from death to life if we love one another. Interestingly, in the gospel accounts, 57 times Jesus gives this exhortation, love. I give you this command, love. And all the atrocity that I even heard in my theological training, we don't want to get too soft. What? There is no higher command. Those are the words in red. So, beloved, the way of the kingdom, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we kind of get, you know, we get this mystical sort of like, ooh, just Jesus, he's the way. Well, what does that look like? It looks like love. That is the kingdom way, beloved. It is the primary diagnostic of the heart. A two-year-old can discern what love looks like and what a bully looks like, Right? So here's a great question for our hearts as we consider, Lord, I want to reveal the age to come. In what ways did I love today? The way 
the way of Jesus, the way that looks like Jesus is the way of love. Number two, the truth is the paraclete. Now, there's a big word. What in the world is that? Um, by the way, it's a Greek word. And the, the Greek, it's a Greek word that's in reference to the Holy Spirit. But the reason that I use that word, because that actually has a multiple uh, definition to it. it. It means counselor, advocate, helper, comforter. So in some of your translations, it'll say when the helper comes or when the comforter comes, or some translations say the advocate. Now, I remember when I, I first, this, this became of importance to me because um, I began to think, oh, Jesus, you sent the Spirit to be my comforter, my helper, my counselor. Uh, and, and I began to think about this, okay. And so I'm thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit, and I began to broaden my thinking and my understanding about the Holy Spirit. And I'm studying about it, and I heard a lesson on the idea of the paraclete. And the image that was drawn for me is one that I leaned on for quite some time, and that is that the paraclete is like an attorney. I get to look at you now, Jack. It's like an attorney, um, and so in my reformed brain, I was like, that's really good news. Having a good attorney in the courtroom is good news. So it was such a comfort, you know. I'm like, this is awesome. The, the, the paraclete is my advocate before the Father. Yes. And so here's the image, if I'm really honest, that is being portrayed out in my heart that I wasn't verbalizing out of my head, which is this. Sort of this idea that we have Jesus sending the paraclete to come and advocate for me before the Father my case. Right? Is that what an attorney normally does? Yeah. Okay. So like, uh, defend me against the judge who's about to lower the hammer down upon me. And that remained the image in my brain for a long time until I began to, 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 to like ask questions like what, like, what is he advocating? What is Jesus' intercession all about? This man who ever lives to make intercession, according to the Hebrew writer. Wait a minute. Is it about him? Wait, or is, I mean, is, is it about me or is it about him and what he's done? And, and so... I began to consider, wait, this image of Jesus protecting me from judgment, I need to maybe rethink this because the advocacy of the Holy Spirit, the intercession of Jesus is about a proclamation of what God has done. So what if the truth of the paraclete is that not so much that he's representing me before God, but rather he's representing God before us, revealing the truth. This is what your father actually looks like. You can trust him. Wait a minute. Did you note that in verse 16 when Jesus said, I I I'm going to ask the father to send you Another helper, another advocate. Wait, wait, who's the first one? Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Dad isn't angry. 
I'm not a different image of the Father. I'm revealing the love of the Father in full display. For God so loved the world. John clarifies the state of the Father's heart and mind when he loved the world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So watch this. God's mind is not the one that needs to be changed. It's mine. He was in Christ According to Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. He's not mad at you. The truth, the Father's for you. The counselor, the helper, the comforter is there to tell you the truth about God. And, and look a little further down there in verse 26 of chapter 14. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said. The truth of the paraclete is to remind us about the truth of God's heart for us. He is for you. Last thing. Well, you know me. It may not be quite the last. But life, the way, the truth, the life so the way is the way is love. The truth is the paraclete revealing the truth about the Father's heart. Life, the life is union with God now. So, again, we've asked this question before. It's one that bears repeating over and over again. God, what did you have in mind before you create? You know, when you created man before there was a problem called sin. What exactly did you have in mind with us? To do great works. Okay, wait a second. If I read Genesis 1, yeah, there are works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. But, but as I read Genesis 1 and 2, it is about union with him in the present. The spirit of truth revealing that our life and our union, uh, that, that our life is actually about our union with God. I and him and you and them. And all of a sudden we're reading these words in which Jesus is revealing that that's actually where our life is. So here's what I want to submit. Every time that you and I embody God's life and spirit in the present, in union with him, we're living from another age. We're revealing actually the way that we're made to live. Now, this is especially for some of us who've come out of me one of being one of them, out of this strong Pentecostal or charismatic background, we need to hear this because sometimes, you know, I've, I've heard this taught so often about receiving the Holy Spirit as some sort of powerful encounter. Now, I know there can be powerful encounters. I'm not dismissing that at all. But here's what I want to say. The spirit of truth isn't a hat trick limited to a euphoric moment. The spirit of truth is revealing the truth about the Father's heart. The spirit of truth is every place that we begin to give existence to another age through my thoughts, my words, and my actions when they begin to look like Jesus because I'm living in communion with him. I read this this past week. One individual who said, if you ever thought of yourself as the one who gives existence to God's insistence, for your life and the life of another. Beloved, there's more to being a child of God than just being forgiven and having a hope of an ethereal 
mystical heaven. It's about life now. How about if we demystify John 14 a little bit? What if eternal life begins here? What if we could live in communion now? Um, I read this, I read something this past week from a friend. Uh, I, well, I call him a friend, uh, an acquaintance that I read a lot of. His name's Brian Zahn. His wife, Perry, he and his wife uh, lead. He's a pastor in Kansas City. They've led uh, some pilgrimages in Israel for the last several years. Denise and I are hoping to go there next year with them. But this year, she fell and broke her arm. Uh, I mean, like it had to have surgery kind of thing. It was not great. And so uh, she wrote to the group uh, the next day and said, this is the psalm that I would like to share today. And she was in the hospital, so somebody else had to read it. it was Psalm 91. And someone said, well, how would you, why would you quote that, that he would keep your foot from stumbling? So this was her response. She said, I do believe in miracles with all my heart. At the same time, we live in a world subject to the laws of creation. Miracles do occur, but by definition, a miracle is out of the ordinary. In this world, when I trip and fall, I most often end up on the ground. I would be reckless and haphazard if I knew that my body was not subject to gravity. I wouldn't be human. I would be superhuman, just a cartoon caricature. His mercies are, however, not out of the ordinary, and we experience them every day. Sadly, we don't naturally perceive them. Part of our task in this world is to develop the spiritual perception that is an attribute of being fully mature humans. To once again walk and talk with God in the garden of his beautiful creation. To learn to remain in constant communion with God and continual awareness of his goodness and his mercies. What happened to her in that moment was there was a Russian nun who came to her aid and helped her. And big language barrier, but there was just some, some real specific things that had occurred there. So, beloved, I just want to invite us. Life is lived in this place of knowing our union with God no matter what, that he's there. Jesus promised in John 14, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, here's what I want to tie two thoughts together in John 14. This just hit me like a ton of bricks this week. John 14, 1 and 2, I've heard this thing quoted at lots of funerals, and I perhaps have read it. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, right? Have you ever heard that at a funeral? Right? That word dwelling places, Jesus only uses that word twice. Same chapter, John 14. So here's the thought that comes to my mind when I read John 14. Many dwelling places, I'm going there. Somewhere out there. But wait a second. I wonder, I wonder if we could perhaps locate where Jesus located the dwelling place of God. Verse 23. If anyone, let's just read that real quick. Verse 23. If anyone loves me and he will keep my word and my Father will love him, we will come to him and make our abode, dwelling place, with him. Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you were going away somewhere out there. 
his dwelling place, his words, not mine, these are the words in red, right here. The way of love, the truth of the paraclete is revealing the Father's heart, and the life, beloved, is lived in union, abiding with him. Beloved, the good news that we proclaim today is that the way, the truth, the life is not something that are left for us to discern or discover in the disoriented spaces of our life. His promise is the same to us. I will come to you. I will reveal the way, the truth, and the life. And it's good news. Amen. I want to invite us to close this morning in sharing this prayer. Would you stand with me? And we're going to share in communion. Uh, those of you on the call, if you grab something there, we're going to share in communion together in just a few moments. But let's pray this prayer together. Living and gracious God, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have brought us out, of, out to a spacious place where we are called to live as those redeemed. Empower us by your Spirit to keep your commandments that we may show forth your love with gentle word and reverend deed to all your people. Amen and amen. Lord, as we come to this place, to your table, by your invitation, Lord, I thank you what you've revealed. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we want to surrender. We want to embrace that connection. That's not something that's distant from us, but that is surrendered to and lived out in us and through us. Oh, Holy Spirit, continue to reveal the whispers of the Father's heart. The declaration that, Jesus, you said, this is your body given for us, your life given for us. We celebrate and declare not only your death, but your life. And this reality that Christ has died, Christ has risen, but that he's coming again, not in a distant way, but today, in our life, in our imagination, in our words, in our deeds. I want to invite you to come 